Okay, I'm back. I've discovered why I was having such a hard time finding the data. It's because back in 2021, they first discovered the background gravitational waves. And uh, just now, in uh, this is published June 28th, 2023 of this year, Apparently, in a historic first, astronomers have detected low-frequency gravitational waves using a galaxy-sized antenna of millisecond pulsars in the Milky Way. And so, just to get this show kicked off while I look for the relevant data, I'm going to go back to a video I just played recently of the sound of stars twinkling. And uh, what they've done is modulated this into uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, of course. And uh, they've essentially converted some of the data into an audio format that you can listen to. And what this should do is remind you of sunbathing on a sunny day where there's no clouds and you notice the very subtle differences in radiation coming off the sun. You might also notice a change in the wind patterns uh, accompanying these sudden changes in solar radiation as well. I find all this infinitely interesting. Um, let's see if I can get this video to load. I'm sorry, I have so many windows open now. Uh, won't take long. And then I'll see if I can pull up the rel relevant information about the background uh, gravitational waves bouncing around our universe and what they can reveal the implications of that. And then we're going to be getting into the implications of some of the room temperature ambient or close to ambient temperature uh, superconductors. But this is the sound of stars uh, modulated into music, specifically Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. So those were big, medium, and small stars, relatedly. Here's the, the sound itself, the raw data. That's more or less what you're getting without it being, you know, modulated into Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And get. Is interesting that's that's the radiation from a star you know light years away being modulated into sound that you could hear i think that's pretty cool and so a good way to start this episode is with those interesting noises i think and moving on to the information let me get past some of these ads okay to detect or the grab the Let's just read this article. I think that'll be the fastest way to get get the show rolling. So in a historic first, astronomers have detected low-frequency gravitational waves using a galaxy-sized antenna of millisecond pulsars in the Milky Way. And they've heard the faint hum of gravitational waves echoing throughout the universe for the first time. 
For nearly a decade, scientists have been hunting for the gravitational wave background. A faint but persistent echo of gravitational waves thought to have been set off by events that took place soon after the Big Bang and the mergers of supermassive black holes throughout the cosmos. While such a background was long theorized by physicists and sought by astronomers, signals of gravitational waves that make up that background have been hard to detect due to being faint, in addition to vibrating at a decade-long timescales. Wow. So now long-term observations have finally confirmed their presence. In a highly anticipated and globally coordinated announcement on Wednesday, June 28th, teams of scientists worldwide, that was relatively uh, yesterday. Goddamn yesterday. What the fuck? All right, yeah. What the? No, that was uh, yesterday last month. I'm sorry. (laughs) That was yesterday a month ago. Uh, But teams of scientists worldwide have reported the discovery of the low-pitch hum of these cosmic ripples flowing through the Milky Way. While astronomers don't know definitively what's causing the hum, the detected signal is compelling evidence and consistent with theoretical expectations of gravitational waves emerging from copious, uh, copious pairs of the most massive black holes in the entire universe weighing as much as billions of suns, said Stephen Taylor, a gravitational wave astrophysicist at Vanderbilt University in Tennessee who co-led the research. I'm going to highlight his name and his credentials, and I'm going to see if I can get an rec- uh, interview with this guy. Copy. So, um, Hints of the same signal were announced in a series of papers published by scientists in China, India, Europe, and Australia. They say the signals may be coming from merging supermassive black holes that are caught in cosmic dances, circling each other in orbits that shrink across millions of years. During this process, they release energy in the form of gravitational waves that reverberate throughout the universe, waves astronomers now say they have detected. Uh, scientists report that the observed background hum of gravitational waves has grown in significance over time, providing tantalizing proof there may be hundreds of thousands or even millions of supermassive black holes about to merge in the next few hundred thousand years, even through the gargantuan objects, even though the gargantuan objects themselves haven't yet been spotted. Interesting. Cosmic lighthouse as gravitational wave detectors. So to detect the gravitational wave background, astronomers studied fast spinning stars called millisecond pulsars, which are dead stars that spin up to 700 times per second with astonishing regular uh, regularity, um, blasting out beams of light from their magnetic poles, which are seen as pulses when they flicker in Earth's direction. Such cosmic lighthouses can help spot gravitational waves from black holes that are supermassive, millions to billions times larger than our sun in comparison. The laser interform, sorry, the laser interferometer gravitational wave observatory or LIGO network can only detect gravitational waves originating from smaller black holes that are up to 10 times as massive as the sun. 
if the yawning stretch of space between Earth and the pulsars were absolutely empty, then light from the flashing cosmic clocks would take the same time to reach Earth every time they pulse in our direction. In actuality, the timing of the pulses is influenced by factors such as the gas and dust in the interstellar medium and motions of pulsars, as well as Earth in the Milky Way. Gravitational waves, too, stretch and compress the space-time fabric between us and the pulsars, distorting their otherwise meticulously regular pulses from anywhere between tens of nanoseconds to five or more years, resulting in the light flashes arriving earlier or later than normal. In the new research, the critical evidence that betrays the source of the signals to be supermassive black holes is a unique pattern found in the arrival times of pulses from galaxy-sized cosmic antenna of nearly 70 millisecond pulsars in the Milky Way. According to a consortium of astronomers known as the North American Nanohertz Observatory for Gravitational Waves, or NanoGrav, gravitational wave signals, I'm going to grab a screenshot of that too. Gravitational wave signals from black hole binaries overlap like voices in a crowd and result in an incessant hum that embeds as a unique pattern in the pulsar timing data. Interesting. Scientists extracted that pattern by observing lighthouse-like beams from pairs of pulsars using various radio telescopes like the now-collapsed Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico Green Bank Observatory in West Virginia, Carl G. Yanksky Very Large Array in New Mexico, and the Canadian Hydrogen Intensity Mapping Experiment, or CHIME, in Canada, which sounds very interesting, also on its own. They collected data about the timing of those pulses every month for 15 years. Then they calculated the difference between the pulses arrival, arrival times and their predicted arrival times which they could estimate within one microsecond comparable to measuring the distance to the moon to within a thousandth of a millimeter, scientists say. So highly accurate shit. The much sought after gravitational wave signals were embedded in those differences, Taylor said. This is the first time scientists have found compelling evidence for such patterns of inconsistency etched by those backdrop of gravitational waves whose effects on pulsars, light flashes, were predicted by Einstein's theory of general relativity back in 1916. So probably using some AI, they were able to extrapolate all this information from the discrepancy in the timing. But back to the article, um, we are extraordinarily excited to see this pattern pop out, finally, said Taylor. So here's an illustration of position of Milky Way's pulsars included in the data set, 15-year data set, and it has like about 100 pulsars. So very interesting. Crossing the final threshold, scientists now know that when black holes merge, their gravity interacts with nearby stars, which drains the black hole's orbital energies and nudges them increasingly closer to the point of becoming a single black hole. A simple model suggests that after black holes get within 3.2 light years of one another, they merge by radiating gravitational waves. However, other models have suggested that black holes span time scales longer than the universe itself and that they stall their merger when they reach that 3.2 light years mark. 
at one point, scientists were concerned that supermassive black holes in binaries would orbit each other forever, never coming close enough together to generate a signal like this. Uh, so, um, how those black holes reduce their orbit beyond that distance and eventually merge, known as the final parsec problem, has not been very well understood. To get these types of high amplitudes that we're seeing, we need fairly massive black holes, and they need to form binaries quite frequently and evolve quite efficiently. Uh, the discovery, If the discovery pans out and the signals being detected do end up being from binary black holes, then they absolutely had to have passed the final parsec one way or another. Four separate studies on the discovery of the gravitational wave background have been published in the Astrophysical Journal Letters. So, okay. Four separate studies. 15-year data set evidence for in gravitational wave background. Observations and timing of 68 millisecond pulse scars. Nanograv data set detector characterization and noise budget. Interesting. Uh, search for signals from new physics. Let's try this article. This is IOP Science, Astrophysical Journal Letters, the Nanograv 15-year data set search for signals. The 15-year pulsar timing data set collected by North American Nanohertz Observatory for Gravitational Waves, or Nanograv, shows positive evidence for the presence of low-frequency gravitational wave background. In this paper, they investigate the potential cosmological interpretations of the signal, specifically cosmic inflation, scalar-induced, this is where it gets really interesting, gravitational waves, first-order phase transitions, cosmic strings, and domain walls. We find that with the exception of stable cosmic strings of field theory origin, all of these models can reproduce the observed signal. When compared to the standard interpretation in terms of inspiraling <clears throat> supermassive black hole binaries, or what they call smumbums, <laughs> many cosmological models seem to provide better fit resulting in Bayes factors in the range from one to hundred. So we're talking in spiraling supermassive black hole binaries. <laughs> supermassive black hole binaries. SMBHBS. <laughs> if these results, uh, these results strongly depend on modeling assumptions about the cosmic supermassive black hole binary population. And at this stage should not be regarded as evidence for new physics. Uh, okay. Furthermore, damn, that goes all my excitement. Um, but I think it certainly points that direction. Furthermore, they identify excluded parameter regions where the predicted gravitational wave signal from cosmological sources significantly exceeds the nanograv's signal. These parameter constraints are independent of the origin of nanograv's signal and illustrate how pulsar timing data provide a new way to constrain the parameter space of these models. Finally, okay, see, this is why they, they want more funding. <laughs> okay, but it looks like we got some new physics here, ladies and gentlemen. 
so I'll just say it. I'm not, I don't have shit on the line. Uh, I don't have a degree, <laughs> so I can say it. Uh, so let's see. Uh, finally, we search for deterministic signals produced by models of ultralight dark matter and dark matter substructures in the Milky Way. We find no evidence for either of these signals and thus report updated constraints on these models. In the case of ULDM, these constraints outperform torsion balance and atomic clock constraints for ULDM coupled electrons, muons, and gluons. This is interesting because I've always kind of speculated that dark matter wasn't really a very good explanation for what's going on. I don't, I don't understand dark matter. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like I don't understand dark matter. Um, and it's just because I'm kind of an idiot in this uh, area. I'm not really an astrophysics nerd. Um, you know, I'm into electricity and magnetism and, uh, because of those two things, I've recently become involved in gravity as well. And I mean, you know, I've always been interested in gravity, vaguely interested in gravity. I always find magnetism and electricity to be more interesting. But now that I'm older and wiser, I've become as equally interested in gravity. And I speculate that it might be a different vector of the same waveform of a electromagnetic wave. So what we might be dealing with is gr electromagnetic gravito waves or gravi uh, electromagnetic gravity waves. We can call them that EMGWs, um, EMGs, electromagnetic gravity waves. I think that's the perfect way to describe what we're talking about, or maybe a space time wave. Uh, would be a better way of describing it. Space-time waves or an electromagnetic gravity wave. This is just me talking, you know. Um, but I think this could also potentially be a scientific um, groundwork or basis for uh, astrology, and legitimize astrology, astrology on a scientific level, very similar to the way that the vibration of a bee's wing at the key of C can uh, heal PTSD in humans and help us to recover from psychological trauma. I think that the vibration and the tone of the gravitational waves coming from planets potentially um, could play a role, pardon me, could play a role on our psychology in some form or another in very subtle ways that we are only beginning to understand. So that's just me rambling. But I think this uh, new information could point towards a lot of new, a new, a new model for physics that uh, gets us closer to singularity and uh, makes sense of dark matter, shed some light on that dark matter finally. So see what's going on, kind of solve that mystery. Um, so there is the news on the gravitational waves being detected and measured using, uh, what was it? Uh, they called it dead stars. It was uh, like a pulsar, but um, <clears throat> what were these objects called? 
Is it pulsars? Yeah, pulsars. We pulsars. So yeah, dead star shooting light out of its magnetic poles. We've used that light to uh, map out very slight differences in the rate that it's getting to us and uh, basically uncover the background hum of the universe in gravitational waves now instead of radio waves, which could potentially be um, more accurate and uh, shed some light on some interesting aspects of our universe, including gravity itself, which huzzah, awesome, huge mystery in and of itself on its own, along with magnetism and electricity. It seems like we have more or less figured out like electricity is still a bit of a mystery on its own. Magnetism, a bit of a mystery. Gravity, a bit of a mystery. I think once we understand all three of these things uh, in uh, the context of space-time together, we will have this amazing new field theory that will be the singularity of non-Newtonian physics and regular old, I guess, quantum physics and Newtonian physics. Um, so interesting stuff. To munch on there. Um, sorry, let me see what Lance is saying. Oh, oh yeah, Lance has really pissed himself again. Uh, but uh, I'm just going to move on to the next article here. Uh, the next piece of science news, which is near ambient temperature um, superconductors which is absolutely going to change and rock the science world. This is some, some really interesting new technology. So let's see the implications of implications of near ambient Um, superconductors is what we're talking about here. Okay, so here's the article from Scientific American, which is probably going to rain on my parade a little bit and make me sad, and I don't want to hear it. And you know what? They're probably wrong. It wouldn't be the first time that Scientific Scientific American has been wrong about something. So I'm going to challenge them on this motherfucking thing. We're going to see what happens. Uh, so, of course, we're skeptical at this point of what this might actually, you know, uh, translate to in the market and in, in technologically, like realistically right now. And I can tell you right now it's because this technology works while at near ambient uh, room temperature, you know, uh, it does not, it works at near ambient pressure, which technically means 10 times more than the pressure at the bottom of the Mariana trench. So it's highly pressurized still, but that said, it's a lot easier to do than, uh, the conventional ways of producing superconductors. So from the scientific American, let me give you guys a link to this article as well in the chat. And 
let me see if I have any links from the last articles as well. So I've been kind of slacking. Um, okay. Here is one, uh, at least the link to one of the scientists involved in the gravitational wave study. If you guys are interested in more inf information on that, you can track it through him. And here is the article I think I'm reading right now. And it should be Scientific American. I don't know what the fuck that was. Let's see. Okay, that was the Scientific American article. So back to that Scientific American article. Researchers say they've discovered a new room temperature ambient pressure superconductor, but many scientists are unconvinced. New room temperature. See, it says ambient pressure superconductor. I think what they mean is near ambient pressure. Uh, but back to the Scientific American article. If rumor has wings, extraordinary scientific claims have a jet engine. Aha. Within hours of appearing on the preprint server ARXIV.org, two papers by a team of scientists in South Korea generated enormous viral buzz. The researchers' extraordinary claim is that they have discovered a room temperature ambient pressure superconductor material that can conduct electricity perfectly under everyday conditions. Now, that's not what they're claiming, I think, right off the bat. So let's first of all be real. Um, Scientific American. Uh, this is why I have a problem with Scientific American is because like they get, you know, if you're going to let little things like that slide, how am I supposed to trust you with the big things? You know, how am I supposed to trust you guys with the big information? If you let little stuff like that go without a vibe check. All right. So, um, anyway, that's my beef with Scientific American, but pardon me while I do chores in the background, back to the article. So, uh, a genuine condition superconductor is often touted for its potential to transform many technologies. It could enable a perfectly efficient power grid, levitating trains, commercially viable fusion reactors, the list goes on. The authors wrote that their discovery will be a brand new historical event that opens a new era for mankind. And but their experiment has yet to be properly scrutinized by the scientific community. And the quest for breakthrough superconductors has a long history of big claims that end up falling flat. So that is a good way to summarize what we have going on right now. The situation at hand, the juicy scientific tea we have right now. And uh, I'll, I'll just like to add that uh, a really cool thing about this study and the science is that they're using crystals to do it again, guys. We're using crystals to do amazing things. So uh, for all the nerds that like to snuff their nose at us hippies for being just so, in, you know, interested in crystals, uh, you could just uh, chill because there's a lot that we don't, that you probably don't know about crystals. <laughs> and uh, this is just another one of those examples, but, to be fair, there's a lot that hippies don't know about crystals either. It really takes a, sci a scientist to uh, tell you what's what when it comes to crystals. But uh, hippies are cool, nonetheless. They, 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 they point scientists in interesting directions. So what's superconductivity anyway? Uh, 
When electrons flow through a standard conductive material like aluminum wire, they act something like bumper cars bouncing off atoms. All this bouncing creates resistance, reducing the electric current. But if that aluminum wire is cooled down to about one Kelvin above absolute zero, something bizarre happens. The rules of traffic change so that electrons join together into pairs that glide frictionlessly among the aluminum atoms with zero resistance. In 1987, researchers discovered the first high temperature superconductors, materials that only needed to be cooled down to 77 kelvins, a temperature easily reachable via cheap and plentiful liquid nitrogen. These materials were literally and figuratively electrifying sparking a jolt of enthusiasm among scientists and the public about the possibilities of warmer superconductivity. But there's a hair in my yogurt. I'm sorry. Mm. Much of the enthusiasm faded as advances slowed and high temperature superconductors stayed stuck at cold temperatures and remained impractically brittle. During the past decade, researchers have pursued an interesting alternative. They discovered hydrogen-based compounds that are superconductors at relatively warm temperatures, but only while squeezed to pressures greater than 1 million atmospheres. And maintaining such high pressures is even more impractical than sustaining super low temperatures. Oh, no way. It's even more impractical than the low temperature thing? I thought this was more practical. Oh, no. This is, yeah, okay. This is news to me. Okay. So this is uh, interesting. In their new preprint papers, the researchers say the L99, uh, a compound, I'm sorry, LK99, a compound of lead, copper, phosphorus, and oxygen is a superconductor at temperatures above 400 kelvins and ambient pressure. They also include a detailed recipe for making raisin-sized pellets of the compound, which requires mixing precise ratios of the powdered ingredients and then baking the mixture at high temperatures. The authors also report performing tests of LK99 and say they found the electrical resistivity uh, dropping sharply around 378 kelvins and then reaching nearly zero around 333 kelvins, 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Although... Zero electrical resistance is superconductivity's, uh, superconductivity's hallmark. Um, other tests are required to confirm a genuine superconductor. One such test is for the uh, Messner effect. Because a superconductor expels magnetic fields, it repels other magnets, producing an iconic levitating effect. The South Korean researchers provided a video of what they say is LK99 exhibiting the uh, Meissner effect. But superconductors aren't the only things that float above magnets. Graphite, for example, also levitates. So why are many scientists dubious? Extraordinary claims that did not survive scrutiny have long plagued the field of superconductivity. In 1987, after a compound called YBCO was discovered a high-temperature superconductor, some researchers thought they saw hints of the compound being superconductivity 
get room temperature, but those disappeared on closer inspection. The list of once promising failures goes on and on. Sandwiches of aluminum and carbon, copper chloride, ammonia-based compounds, and more. All tested room temperature superconductivity that ultimately proved illusory. Ragna Diaz, a physicist at the University of Rochester, has recently made multiple claims about room temperature superconductors, but retractions and allegations of scientific misconduct have marred the credibility of those findings. All of this means that strong strong skepticism is the default for new reports of room temperature superconductivity, especially ones that are as yet largely unvetted by peer review. In this latest case, several details in South Korean teams' uh, preprint papers have raised concern. James Hamlin, a physicist at the University of Florida, points out oddities in a measurement of LK99's magnetic properties that give him pause. It doesn't really look much like my experience of measuring these properties, he says. Doug Nadelson, a physicist at Rice University, spontaneously spotted something even stranger while going over the preprints during an interview for the story. Both papers include a data plot detailing LK99's magnetic properties. Both plots were sourced from the same data set and should thus be identical, but the plot in one paper has a y-axis with a scale that's about 7,000 times larger than the other. This kind of inconsistency does not prove anything. But at minimum, it suggests a worrisome shortfall in proofreading. Scientific American reached out to the South Korean team for comment, but did not receive a response by the time of the story's publication. Getting a definitive answer about what's really happening in LK99 demands patience as eager independent teams attempt to replicate the South Korean team's work. Because the recipe for LK99's synthesis is straightforward, Results could come in the next few days or weeks. Nadelson is interested, but he isn't holding his breath. It's not rare for people to see weird stuff, which in the end doesn't pan out. So I hear what they're saying a little bit. They're saying that the the pressure is actually uh, more inconvenient than the, uh, the temperature thing. Hmm. I see. I see, I see, I see. So we're still running into some pitfalls, but you know, I, th- I think this is a huge step in the right direction of understanding uh, how we might be able to get this done and uh, put into technology we can fit into our cars and stuff like that it would be amazing. Uh, and like I said, levitating trains would be sick. That would be so cool. Frictionless trains. Ooh la la, just the wind. So it looks like maybe that was a bit of a, a nothing burger on, on that last one, unfortunately. But it's just exciting to hear. They didn't go into how, how they actually created it with uh, crystals and stuff, but it's, it's kind of interesting science. What's up, Lance? I just want to ask Peter directly. So whenever you're ready to debate me, not by proxy with third parties, but just tell me that I'm an asshole. I'm too much of an asshole. Uh, I'm, I'm too much of a dick, anything, or you just don't have time, but you won't even respond and tell me why. Peter. Well, let's do it scientifically, Lance. This is a show about science. So this is the daily science report. So I'm going to answer your question with science right now with starting with the word asshole. What is an asshole? 
So um, it could be a person's anus, you know, like the, the, the organ they use for shitting. Or, as it's been colloquially known here in North America, it could be a stupid, irritating, or contemptible person. So we all know what stupid means, uh, or some most of us know what stupid means. Um, we more or less know what irritating means, but let's let's just get a good definition for irritating because that's a tough one for some people. But it's when someone causes an annoyance, or someone or a thing uh, is causing annoyance, impatience, or mild anger, causing irritation to a body part. It could be another thing. Um, so any, uh, inflammation or discomfort in a part of the body, uh, could be considered an irritation on a medical level and a contemptible, what does this word contemptible mean? I'm not going to lie to you guys. I think it just means that, um, if I look at the word itself, it looks like they're easy to pacify, but I'm going to imagine it means the opposite. So it means deserving contempt, being despicable. So what is this word contempt? A feeling that a person or thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. Uh, so now we've got a good definition for what an asshole is. Uh, I think Peter's room is rather interesting and absolutely worth my time and energy. Um, so I would not consider Peter to be an asshole on a scientific level. Um, what do you think? What do you think, Lance? First of all, I called myself an asshole. I didn't call Peter an asshole. So you didn't even hear the fucking words I said, but you responded to something the exact opposite of what I did. All I simply said was, Peter won't say whether he's too busy, he don't like me enough, he don't like debates, formal debates, uh, I'm an asshole, I'm a dickhead. I said, he could say that you're too wonderful, he could say I'm afraid to debate you, I'm not afraid to debate you, but I have too much time. I'm just asking for any response instead of crickets. But you'll defend the crickets and say, well, of course he's got crickets because he's a better debater and you have to show you're up to snuff with me. And then he'll decide whether to debate you. Nobody outside this room buys it. It's idiotic what you're saying, but you're too, either too stupid or willfully ignorant to understand that. I just want to respond. Thumbs up, thumbs down or sideways. He won't. It's crickets. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying what he should or shouldn't do. I'm an asshole or I'm, he's too busy. Any excuse, any reason he wants to give and he won't give any. That's because uh, he's I, right. I, I would refer you again. He's a coward. Um, he's a coward. What well, you can turn it around and pretend I'm the coward for not debating him when he's the one that won't even answer anytime, anywhere, any place with an agreed upon moderator, Peter. So keep telling uh, everyone, uh, Brady, that. All right. All that Lance can do is filibuster. He's clearly not capable of making an argument. So I'm going to go ahead and help him here. And the answer to Lance's question, Lance, is actually, I'm not denying that you called yourself an asshole. You know, that's not what I was doing. Uh, what I was doing was simply establishing a solid definition uh, of an asshole as a contemptible person, which is someone who's capable of being ignored, someone you could just kind of ignore and kind of write off for being, you know, annoying. So you, you've uh, admitted to us today that you are an asshole. And an asshole is a contemptible person. 
who is uh, cap- you know, worthy of contempt. And so, and Peter, as I've demonstrated, is, is not an asshole. Um, so because you're a contemptible asshole, um, there's no reason for Peter to debate you. And this is how I, I'm, I'm simply using science to answer your question. So I'm hoping that uh, that answers your question. Does that make sense? No, it's how uh, you calling yourself an asshole is actually the answer to why Peter won't debate you. No, no, no. So when I said I called myself an asshole in the context of that being one of the reasons he could use. So, yeah, I said that. So I guess you can say, I don't care if you clarify it, Lance. You called yourself an asshole. <laughs> no. What I was suggesting is he could tell, say, I'm an a- you're an asshole, Lance. I was just giving you the options. He could say, you're an asshole, Lance. Uh, I'm afraid of you, Lance. Uh, you're a dickhead, Lance. Uh, I'm too busy, Lance. Uh, I don't like debates, Lance. I, I too, can't spend too much time doing my show to be a lot, whatever he. I never mentioned any of those things in the definition of asshole. Um, there's nothing in the definition of asshole that says we're afraid of you. That would be um, a threat. You know, that would be a bully. That would be a, a psychopath. It'd be a sadist or whatever you want to call them, a rapist, whatever kind of asshole they're being physically. It would cause fear, but we're not afraid of you, Lance. It's just that um, you're contemptible, which means you're not interesting. You don't have anything germane or pertinent to add to the conversation. Take, for example, the daily science report that I'm having today about gravitational waves and ambient temperature semiconductors. You haven't anything really to say about any of that, but um, I'm very happy to answer all of your questions using science. Yeah, I want you to explain to Daniel. I don't know what if he's on particular and Cunt that. So I, I said Peter, and he would not. And Brady was going to set it up when Brady went to Peter and asked him. He turned off the music and ignored us. But according to Peter, according to Brady, I want you to weigh in, Cunt. I'm afraid. Oh, there he goes. I'm afraid to debate Peter, even though he is the one who just skedaddled out of the room like a little coward. But of course, you will blindly defend him. You know what, Brady? I'm the same man. Do you want to respond to that, Cunt? (laughs) I didn't think so. (laughs) Yeah, Cunt is, uh, I think, just a you know, like he says, calling himself out. Uh, go ahead, Lance. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the, the, the fact remains, right. That he won't debate me and you won't confront it and you'll defend him blindly. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Hold on, hold on. Cause I'm an asshole. Right. But you know what? I'm just as much of an asshole as I was two weeks ago when you said, okay, Lance, I'll set up the debate with Peter. I'm not more of an asshole now than I was then. I'm every bit the, if you think I'm an asshole, I was just in your view, just as much of an asshole then. So I didn't change. I'm the same asshole I was, but you were going to set it up until Peter decided he didn't want to do it. And then you pivoted to, well, he just won't do it because you're too much of an asshole. You're full of shit. You, 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 you just completely contradictory and any reasonable person. That's what happened, dude. That's exactly what happened. Dude, it's what is exactly what happened. You admitted that that's exactly what happened just like five minutes ago, dude. You said that I came into the room. I asked Peter if he wanted to debate you. And he Peter said no like and a scan- the music up. 
And just now, he's dabbing like a scared rabbit. You can still defend him if you want. Rejection from Brady or Peter. Believe me, I can tell you right now that really doesn't affect me. Because I only care about rejection from people I respect. I have very little respect for Peter and not. Wear it with a badge of honor. If it's people I don't like, I don't want them to respect me because then I got to question my the own way to views. Accept this the fact that you, I, think I, I have zero respect for you, I don't give a debate. fuck what like you, you think. You, could, Whatever you, you think I'm thinking about. Yeah, we can tell you have very little respect, Lance. You're, there's, we're getting very low respect vibes from you. So I don't know why you're expecting so much respect in return. What's up, Daniel? <laughs> Good to hear from you, sir. What do you think? Sorry about that. Opinion? No worries. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, what do they want to debate about? Oh, he that's the reason why know. I called. I don't even know what. I don't even know what he wants to debate about. He doesn't even have a topic picked. Like he won't even. It's crazy. But you know, I'm the, I'm a fan uh, of debate. I'm uh, all about debates. Oh, uh, what? I'm willing to be Peter. But you have the I was gonna say is that you have consciousness. Oh, you're a bit. Try to. Be. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. Now I'm busy driving. Are, are you interested in consciousness? Uh, not always. I think I got to a point where it's starting to bore me again. That's so funny. Me too, dude. Um, well, actually, um, it's gotten a bit interesting, and it's gotten like scary interesting, kind of like nuclear bomb interesting. And... Um, uh, no one's really talking about the interesting parts of it, though. Everyone's just talking about aliens. No one's really talking about the actual technology and the actual science surrounding what's going on. And I'm of the theory that uh, it's human technology. And that when they say that it's non-human biologics recovered from these aircraft, that could mean anything from bacteria to a monkey to a jellyfish to it could be a part of a... a a genetically engineered human, a neo-human that is uh, technically non-human, uh, but nonetheless based on human genetics, you know? Mm. Oh, I've gone down, down the deeper, down the rabbit hole to where, for me, from my perspective, it's like seeing a bunch of people who hate flat earthers are being confronted with something new and acting like flat earthers. Then again, I've gone down the rabbit hole. I'm like, and for me, it's like, like, cause I heard all the stories before. I think the, the, the thing that, that is new to me, wait a minute. We have retrieval tech. Uh, we have, we have craft retrieval from the 1930s. Oh, wait a minute. Like what? Like we never heard that. They, they kept that good in secret, even from us. Crazy conspirator theorist. <laughs> That's exactly what Roswell was. Uh, yeah, but, test yeah, pilots, but, believe it or not, the alien from Roswell 
was a German war prisoner from a German concentration camp in America where we held uh, Nazi scientists and Nazi, Nazi pilots as prisoner and we forced them to test pilot these super fucking fast planes out in New Mexico. And it turns out there was a airstrip that was six miles long, a six mile long airstrip right outside Roswell, New Mexico, pointed right at Roswell. Ah, <laughs> uh, the, so- the crazy story that I heard was that we were still at war with Japan and Japan sent a blimp over to bomb the U.S. And when they crashed, the reason why they were so small, because they were Japanese. That's the other crazy story oh. I've heard. Wow. Well, you know, that's a cover story. That's one of these stories that they use to... It's like if Aliens doesn't work, they draw out another cover story. They draw another... It's called a red herring, I think, right? Where they, uh, I call it a wild goose chase, but yeah. It, you, you, when you, I like that better. I like a wild goose better, yeah. It's a wild goose. When, <laughs> when you go down these, these things, you get these wild goose chases of sorts. And I think the biggest one... Uh, in the UFO field is called Michael. His name is Michael Sala. He talks about um, extragalactic politics of sorts. Oh, yeah. Anyone doing any kind of mediumship is usually bullshit. <sighs> no, not necessarily. Uh, but what I will tell you is that one of his uh, um, what do you call it? The guy who spills the beans um I'm trying to think of what um, what's her name that gave all that material. Can't think of that term uh, to um, uh, Julian Assange. Galactic Federation. No, 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 I'm talking about. I'm trying to think of a term, and this is problem because I'm thinking so much stuff that you forget the little uh, whistleblower. Yeah. That's the term. So. Okay. It's interesting. One of these whistleblowers is called Corey Good, and he talks about how um, where the 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 I'm trying to think the uh, solar system is in this sphere. It's cut off and cut off from the rest of the universe and stuff like that. And the blue avians came out, and I was. When I heard that story for the first time, I began to hear of uh, death battles from Rooster Teeth. Uh, that's the name of the channel, Rooster Teeth. This guy does these um, uh, death battles between universes, like Superman versus Goku. Everyone go check that out. <laughs> uh, and. In it, it talked about Seamus XLR, the um, Metroid uh, bounty hunter versus Boba Fett. And when you hear when you hear about the Blue Aliens, it's like then you look at the her backstory being rescued by birds, and you're like, oh, this is where they got this crap from. <laughs> it, it's wild, dude. Uh, a lot of the uh, the raw material. Are you might be familiar with the raw material, or the uh, what is it? God damn it! Uh, now I'm having a brain fart. Uh, yeah, that's my problem. <laughs> anyway, the raw material is part of an institute uh, of, of uh, psychologists at a university 
And they had uh, university students participating in an experiment where what they were doing was beaming voices into their heads using uh, radio technology. And what they were doing was vibrating the bones in their inner ear with uh, radio technology and microwave technology and causing them to literally hear voices in their head. And what they did then was they told the students that they would be participating in a, a psychic experiment where they would be attempting to channel aliens. And what they would do was fucking they would put them into this meditative state, this hypnotic meditative state, and they would start saying things into their ear using this technology making them think that they were legitimately communicating with aliens. And, and they, they came up with this whole fucking narrative of this uh, galactic federation and all this fucking nonsense and started this whole fucking cult based around this technology that they developed to whisper in people's ear from a distance without wires or anything like that. And it's a really interesting story once you understand the, the, the real story of what's going on. You know, it becomes almost more interesting than the, because, you know, you kind of look at the Galactic Federation people, and you're like, all right, these people are fucking nuts. Like, you can kind of tell on its face that they're full of shit. And so it, it's not really interesting. But as soon as you look at the technology, like the story behind what's going on, it becomes really interesting. And so that's what I'm into. <laughs> is, oh, well, let's hope you don't connect the dots uh, because. Um uh, actual abductees will hear voices in their heads like, hey, we're about to abduct you and stuff like that. And it makes you wonder, are they using, are the abductees using the same technology you're describing? That's when you start like, oh crap, is this something real? Don't go down that road. Please don't. I don't think you want to rot your brain. <laughs> well, I'll say that it's real. It, it could be real like this. Like they could be using it as uh, mind control subjects and um, they could be what they're literally trying to do. MK ultra. MK ultra. Yeah. Like uh, assassins that they can control and stuff. And they're, they're, they're seeing what they can get away with as far as manipulating the human mind goes. So there is a theory that um, some experiments are legitimately done on people and they try to make them think it's aliens. I don't know. It, that, yeah, that could be nonsense. That's partially it. That's, that's not a lot of evidence for it. That they'll convince you that it's done by aliens. Um, I think someone did. Um, I think someone did an interesting um, documentary about the Montauk project and the kids or the people that yeah. were about it. I forgot his name, but it, that's what you're describing right there, that the these kids said, had... Yeah, so one of the people claimed to have met Barack Obama, did some time traveling to Gettysburg. Oh, we're losing you. Okay. I'm losing your connection. I'm having, having a hard time hearing you. We're having a connectivity issue. See if you can get your phone closer to a window or something. There you go. I know over this hill, uh, things should, you know, get a little bit better. 
as I get closer to uh, I-24, um, the signal actually improves. Right on. And it's... Monroe Institute. Yeah, it was the Monroe yeah. Institute that I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, keep, keep going. Yeah, the Monroe Institute came up with the Hemi-Sync guided meditation. And um, what they did was they actually had some original recordings, which worked relatively well getting you into that state. And they took them out of the later recordings and replaced it with something else. And uh, there's some speculation that there might actually be some uh, psychic manipulation going on with the Hemi-Sync technology and that you... Uh, uh, if, if you're interested in getting the benefit from that technology, it's better to do it yourself so that you know you're not being manipulated with something else, you know? Well, that's sort of the problem when going down personal enlightenment um, in those areas. Like, if I, I'm trying to think of Blavatsky's work um, uh, and even to Buddhism to where you have to be warned that you could be led down, led astray off the path of enlightenment to where you can't, you have, you do not have the ability to double check the, um, the sources of what you're encountering through these meditative processes. And that's just a warning that they just, that people just leave out in the uh, you know the healing crystal world, they leave those that part out. Yeah. So, are you familiar with uh, the Museum of Tarot and the Shambhala Initiative? Um, no, I have not heard of that. It's a slightly more legitimate um, experiment in psychic uh, science, and it's an open source experiment where people are building their own psychic amplifiers that help them fall into the theta state and they're doing group meditations and trying to see if uh, they can get uh, data to suggest that they're actually able to communicate and uh, receive uh, information and whatnot from like source mind or something like that. It's really interesting, but I'll admit the first results that came through were not very uh, promising. I wasn't very impressed with the first experiment, but there's more to come. So um, and well, these experiments are nothing. Well, these experiments are nothing new. Um, Alex, I can't pronounce his last name. Of Skeptico, he has a whole source of actual papers on similar subjects. And I want to bring this back to that superconductive. Uh, that superconductive uh, article you're referencing and talking about today? Oh, crap. <laughs> uh, I can still hear you. Uh, sorry, I was just muted, but I can still hear you. Yeah. Um, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, well... I forgot the name of this book because I heard it on a podcast called Mysterious Universe about three, four years ago. And this guy worked in the Princeton uh, University's Department of Paranormal Studies. 
I forgot the, the acronym that they used. And you used to be able to find all their papers online. You can't find those papers anymore. But this guy was there at the closing of that department. And he was into trying to do this experiment. So he put himself down to do this experiment to uh, press the space button on a computer to see if he could figure out when and where a red square was going to pop up in front of him. And it took him about 10 years to figure that out. And he pretty much came to the conclusion how dumb luck happens. No beginner's luck. You ever heard of that? Yeah, yeah. So he I actually figured out how beginner's luck happens. <laughs> but on the other side of this, he actually came to the conclusion that all those cold fusion experiments during the 1990s we all heard about and stuff, he pretty much came to the conclusion that the people who were doing these um, experiments were actually putting their energy into the experiment. And the reason why they couldn't be replicated is because they were literally transforming the universe around them of sorts to make what they thought was going to be happening, happening. I think it's like Heisenberg's cat, like the, um, the observers having an influence on what they're observing. I can't really describe it because I have a hard time. I understand it in my head, but explaining it to like you – uh, You're actually right about that. There's a lot of experiments uh, involving quantum physics these days where the scientists acknowledge that and they remove themselves entirely from the building. They make it a point not to think about the experiment when it's happening. Like, yeah, it's really bizarre, like some of the methods involved and uh, yeah. variables involved in quantum experiments. And that's why I'm thinking that this superconductive um, experiment is just the uh, person, you know, just playing with stuff, figuring things out, and all of a sudden it's working for him. And I think there's a real-world example that everyone can see. There's this guy in Indonesia that lost the use of his arm or his body. He basically went around and just created this um, – exoskeleton of sorts to sort of help him out. And the only way I, the only way I could compute that that is actually working, it ain't going to work for you. If you go try something that, you're just going to create this uh, junk um, piece of art. Okay? But it's sort of like, are you familiar with Warhammer 40k? The lore behind it? But I would offer that the experiment involving the low-temperature semiconductor, like, it is a repeatable experiment. The controversy is that, um, that it's not actually uh, ambient pressure. It actually takes lots of pressure. So um, it's not actually as practical as they're kind of making it, as some people are making it out to be. But it is a huge leap in the right direction. It, it did take a lot of work to get there. Oh. Yeah, because that's what well, I was just bringing vibes up when I was just hearing about that. It's like, is it really that, or is it just the uh, person, you know, putting their thoughts onto the experiment, making it happen, and creating the desired results? And when you try to double blind test it, 
that other person is doesn't have those same results in mind. I think that the movement is so large, involving matter, so large, Newtonian level that those kind of influences don't play much of a role because of there's so much external input going on. Um, but when you start to look at really small things like quarks and neutrinos and gravitons and muons and stuff, um, that's when uh, something like a thought or just the presence of a scientist could affect the ex experiment in, in a large measurable way. Which means that it's it's not subject to as much interference from our our thoughts and stuff as smaller things might be. Yeah, um, that's her name, Lynn McTaggart. Um, she's famous for um, I don't know in in the UFO world, she's sort of famous for ending the war in Sri Lanka. <laughs> That's a crazy story behind there. Yeah. Scientist. No, uh, I think I'm she's right no, about I think at she's... the two-hour mark for this one. Of course, it's probably um, going to be a shorter show. I'm going to edit the first part out. But uh, I'm about to wrap this show up in about five minutes. But I'm wondering if you have any subjects or topics you'd like to dive into for the next episode or any future episodes. Um, not really. Um, um, no, nope. Um, the only subject I could really think of is going down Nick, not Nick, uh, Nick Cook's book, the, the the UFO guy that worked for the Ministry of Defense. I think he wrote this book about um the hunt for zero point, and I think what when people have new technologies. What people don't really consider is that people in power will actively suppress those technologies. A uh, good example is that crazy guy in El Paso, from all indications, super cooled his gasoline and managed to get 100 miles to, gal to the gallon. <laughs> That's a really good topic for a future episode is like fuel efficiency. And uh, all alternative car engines, like the Aquarius engine and stuff like that, that'd be a really good, a cool episode. Um, here's something um, you go down. That's you go down. That's more practical. Um, running um, your engine on hydrogen. I remember seeing a video out there, uh, roughly around the beginning of the pandemic, and I couldn't find it anymore. But this guy turned his uh, lawnmower to run on water and he the engine's not combusting water like gasoline he's basically using some type of electrode i can't think of the name because i'm not into that stuff but he's basically separating the molecule the hydrogen and oxygen molecules out of water to extract the hydrogen and in that combustion same chamber to move the engine it creates water um, in essence, and I saw him turn it on. It sounded like a regular lawnmower. I can only confirm what I saw on the video, but 
the technology is out there that we could run a lot of our stuff on water, but um, there's all that rusting issues and stuff. And interesting, yeah. It, um, especially now with gas being like four dollars a gallon, almost damn near. Yeah, uh, here in Texas. Yeah, the, the, um, really good time. I mean, I've heard that there are like some like thirty dollar contraptions you can slap together with a coffee can and some parts at Home Depot to make your car run much more efficiently. Like a, I think it's like a vapor carburetor. You know, that's probably um, what that guy created, but simply super cold the gasoline to create it. That's from what I, I understand from uh, when I when I was reading backstories on it. Yeah, and it was like, well, oh, the guy just super cold his gasoline to, <laughs> to literally that, <laughs> to literally make yeah, that. I'll, but I'll I, do a report on him if you can send me a link. That'd be cool. If not, I'll look it up. Um, uh, basically, look up um, El Paso, hundred miles per gallon, nineteen eighty, yeah. and you could probably come up with the guy. Um, he did this experiment with a reporter from an El Paso newspaper at the time and to uh, Deming back and it basically on just two gallons of gasoline. And supposedly he was, he committed suicide. Wow. That's so crazy because I was just I was just about um, to mention another guy that I was going to do a report on for the same episode. I'm going to do a report on a security guard that was shot by a crazy man at a Walmart recently. And it turns out the security guard was building his own uh, hydrogen fuel cells and making them really efficient. He was getting some incredible efficiency out of his hydrogen fuel cells. And he was posting videos on TikTok right before he was shot by that crazy guy that came in. So I found that interesting. And I'll do a report on him as well. That uh, grocery store guy, that the grocery store security guy in Buffalo, New York, that got shot by that Nazi. Remember that guy? Exactly. That's the guy. Exactly. Yeah. You're talking about, yeah. I remember seeing it. Like, uh, yeah, I see this stuff all the time. Like, yeah, it's been going. <laughs> uh, it's your my advice. If you're trying to get off of gasoline and stuff, and you still want the the wonders of modern society, just build your own engine. Have a little spare parts garage, and just do it yourself. I'm really passionate about building a community garage, you know, it's like all the car parts, everything you need to fix your car. People can kind of come in and contribute to it and yada, yada, keep it going as a community and just make a space where guys can come and hang out and work on cars, you know, and talk car stuff and help repair the local single mom's cars for free. I think that would just be so sweet. But good talking to you, Daniel. I don't know if I lost you. Yeah. Yeah, man. I love that idea. Let's get a little community garage going and uh, take care of your own car. Yeah, just yeah, try just, not to yeah. step on uh, somebody's profit. 
It'll literally kill you. Even though I saw this uh, energy crisis happening over 10 years ago, and I knew that prices were going to go uh, through the roof. And who knew it just had to be a war against Russia to just take their uh, supply off of the market. Off of the market. Read the chat. Anyway, you have a good day, man. Likewise, I'm going to wrap it up. What's up, Lance? Would you like to schedule a debate? Read with all me? the chat. Read the whole chat. The whole thing. That's all I want you to do. I did. Read it out. Dude, if you need it to use that it voice, says, I mean, go for Brady it. needs to get off of gasoline. Sniffing it, I think go his brain cells it. are diminished considerably. LOL. So, no, no. Peter. Peter's my man. So go ahead and read, yeah, I, I read did. the it's, chat, it's, man. It's, read it. Read it out loud. It's all really dumb. You see, if you need to use that mute voice, it, but you can't I'm, I'm gonna, mute the chat. You can no only ban or unban. That's why you're afraid to read the chat. It's so obvious. You're so transparent. You can see now. You'll mute me in any second now. And then you me from there. But if you you have to call or nothing. You have to either ban me from the chat. You have to either ban me entirely from the chat, or you have to acknowledge what I'm having here, Lance. I don't know if you're aware, Lance, but this is a science show, Lance. But you can, ladies and gentlemen, you can see that I've just offered Lance the opportunity to debate me and schedule a debate, and he can't do it. So I'm, I'm going to take that as a no, Lance. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take that as a no. And I'm just going to move on. Well, around the horn, so you're not what you would nominate. But like I said, Brady, it's so obvious, and this is just a fact, right? You have to either ban the entirely from the chat, or it's all there. You can't mute individual right, like so you. So as you can see, when I offer Lance an opportunity to debate me, uh, he's not willing to actually do that. It's all talk. So he's he's literally being a hypocrite. He's complaining about Peter not wanting to debate him while he simultaneously does not want to debate me. Frankly, I don't blame you, Lance, but stop annoying people. Like, this is not what this show is about. And um, it's usually not what other people's shows are about, but it's all you talk about. It's the only thing you talk about. 